What do you do when you're thirsty but pant? What do you do when you're hungry but open your mouth? And we see that here this morning in this text and wonder what this could mean. Let me read uh, the text for us this morning and we'll open it together. This is God's word. It says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that this would be the cry of our hearts, that these words would be the prayers of our hearts, that we would cry out to you in such a way as David has cried out to you, knowing that we are so dependent on you. God, I don't think um, we have learned a lesson greater in this time than utter dependence on you. With so many unknowns and so many people trying to make decisions, God, we just look to you, a great God who knows all things, who's in charge of all things, and we trust you. And so we want to echo the prayers of David this morning. So teach us to do so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see at the very beginning of verse 129 where it says, Your testimonies are wonderful. They are wonderful. And that is the reason, he says, that my soul keeps them. They are full of awe. They are full of wonder. They are excellent to me. So because of that, because he truly believes that, and if you and I believe that, the second half of that verse should be our desire is that our soul would keep them. If we believe the words of God are good and that they are true and that they are right, it'll only be our desire that we would keep them. Now, of course, we know that we are broken and we don't keep his word, but it could be the cry and it should be the cry of our heart, but it is based on a, an intimate knowledge with the scriptures. For, some, for someone to be able to say that your testimonies are wonderful, you have to know that. It's not just a nice book put together in nice binding with nice letters. That's not what a person means when they say the word of God is wonderful, or it's just nice words, or it seems like it's got nice stories in it. You know as well as I do, when you start to read the Bible, it has got some horrifying accounts in it. It's got some difficult truths in it, some hard things to swallow for every single one of us. So a person who truly reads the scriptures would not just see it on surface level and say, wow, that's just, that's just a nice book, isn't it? And, and a lot of people like this book. No, it's deeper than that. It is much greater than that to know the testimonies of God to be wonderful. And so the secondly, he says, the unfolding of your word gives light. So as we open up your word, as we discover your word, as we chew on your word, as we understand it and unfold it, we unpack it, it gives light. In a dark world, with dark situations, with a dark mind, with maybe lack of understanding, the word of God is what brings light. It is what reveals what is true and what is good and what is holy. So unfolding of the word gives light and it imparts understanding to the simple. That kind of helps you to echo in your mind what Jesus declared. I thank you, Father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and you've revealed them to children. Like even children can understand the simplicity of the gospel. You are a sinner, that you need a rescue, 
and Jesus is the rescuer. And here's how you take part in that. It is a simple message when it comes down to it. The Bible points to it page after page after page. The wickedness of man, the goodness of God, and the solution. That's the Bible. And so that's what it means when it, that it imparts understanding even to the simple. You don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to be brilliant in your mind to understand the simple truth, enough truth for you to be impacted by the word of God in a saving and lasting way. So because of these things and because of the goodness of the truth and because of what it teaches us, David then says, I open my mouth and I pant. I am, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and I'm, I'm dying here. I'm desperate. I'm panting because I long for your commandments. These are the very things that are going to give me life and going to give me refreshment and going to give me hope, going to give me light, going to give me understanding. So I pant. I long for them. I desire them with my whole being. And I pant for them. I have a great desire which leads to a great dedication to searching out the scriptures. I long for your commandments. A person who is thirsty doesn't just sit there when the water cooler is across the room. A thirsty person does whatever they can in their power to get to the water cooler. The good news to us is the water cooler has come to us. The thing that satisfies our thirst is not out of reach and is not dependent on your strength to get there. The word of God has come to provide living water to you where you are. If you just open your mouth and pant, he will satisfy the thirsty and he will fill the hungry. I love this, as David's recounting the truths about God's word and all that God's word is and does, he turns into a prayer. Verse 132, he says, turn to me. Turn to me, God, and be gracious to me. David's crying out for grace. He says, I don't, I don't deserve to be satisfied. I don't deserve your favor. I don't deserve your face turned towards me. The concept of God in the Bible uh, um, turning to a person is all grace. Right? Because if God is displeased with someone, we read in the Bible, he has turned his face away. Or, or David himself even recounts at times where he feels like God is not happy with him. He, he uses language like, hide not your face from me. Look my way. Don't, don't keep looking away from me in anger. Don't look away from me in disgust. Turn your face to me. But he knows the only way that God would do that is not because he's lovely, not because he's something good to look at or he has done something beautiful or worthy of God, but instead, it's all grace. Turn to me and be gracious to me. He is pleading for God to be gracious and merciful and show him favor that he does not deserve. Turn to me, he says, as is your way with those who love your name. The, the same idea of Turn to me is look to me in the King James or, or regard me. Take, take notice of me, but not because I'm something noteworthy or because I'm deserving. In Psalm, in Psalm 25, verse 16, the same phrase is there and it says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Be gracious. Have mercy. Show favor. And what's quite interesting is this is a countercultural concept. For David to be begging God to just show him a bit of favor. 
in, in all of grace. It's countercultural because our culture believes that everyone is automatically in the position of God's great favor and God's great mercy and kindness. They always presume on God being loving all the time. Apart from any other attribute or any other thing that God has said, you'll hear it when you, you understand sin and you call out sin in your own life and in others' lives. They'll say, well, aren't, why aren't you being like God? God loves people all the time. And God would always just look on this person with love and favor and grace, and he'd always have his face shining upon them. God is always pleased with everyone. Don't you know? We're all God's children. That's the mantra of our culture that says God is always there favorably with you and for you. God is never against you. But that's not what the scripture says. God hates sin, and he, he hates it because it destroys us for now and for eternity. And so God does not look on sin with favor. He's not there in a gracious presence with kindness and joy. And so that's why David's appealing to grace. He says, I don't deserve this, but God, I, I need you to, to look to me. I'm not presuming on grace. People assume that for God to be kind and gracious, he must let everyone off the hook all the time. The things that he declares wrong, he's going to look aside. He's going to brush it under the rug because isn't God gracious? They assume it means God will graciously let them live how they please without judgment or asking them to change. But it's a lie that a large number of people believe because God's mercy and kindness can never be separated from the word grace and a proper understanding of grace, which cannot be deserved. No one deserves grace. No one is owed grace or owed God's kindness or mercy or favor in any way because it is unmerited meaning you cannot earn it, you cannot deserve it. This is not something that we can presume to get. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches and the kindness and the forbearance and patience of God, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, to not remain where you are, but to repent, to turn? That's God's kindness. He's extending you grace in the moment. Here's another moment. Here's another breath. Repent. Believe. That's what God's kindness is for. Not, it's not his face is shining upon people for favor. So that's why David cries out, God, just be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. Look to me. Turn to me. Regard me. I don't deserve it, but I need your grace. And I love what he says. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way. He, he's appealing to who God is and what God is like. Turn to me. Be gracious to me because this is what you are like. This is who you are. You are gracious, but it's not because I deserve it, not because I earn it, and not because I'm owed it. It's all of grace, and that is what you are. You are gracious to those, it says, with those who love your name, with those who regard your name, those who do not defame your name and keep on defaming it in unrepentant sin. That person does not love the name of God. But God is gracious. That is his way. He is gracious to those who regard his name, who fear his name, who turn in repentance and belief. So then he says in verse 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. In asking for God's help to keep him steady, he is recognizing in himself an inconsistency. The the, the common thread of his life and of your life and of my life is we trip up. We're not steady on our feet. We, we are still in need of great grace and great keeping of God's power. It says, keep steady my steps. 
because I walk on rough ground. This is hard goings in this world where we live. There is so many opportunities for iniquity to get dominion over me. So many opportunities for sin to take hold of my life and to not let go. The idea of being trapped, of sin ruling or having dominion, of it being your slave master, he says, the only way I'm going to be delivered from that is if you, God, keep me steady. Because my feet are shaky and my way of life is lost. And so he asks God not just to to regard him with grace, but also to keep him consistent, to keep him steady, and to help him to not have sin rule over him. So the questions we must ask of ourselves just this morning is, are we one of those people who love his name? Because David says, be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. And so we always have to ask, is that me? Because David here, even in saying that, is saying, I love your name. He says, take note of me, regard me, look to me, be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. And so we must ask, do I love his name? Is there evidence that I love his name? Have you any disregard for his name in your life? And so it's a tough question we must ask ourselves because we know in our moments of failure and sin, it is a disregard for God's name, his, his glory, his, his worth. But the question is, are we loving his name? And, and the only way we do that is by his help and his grace. And we, we look to him for that. The second is, have you asked for and received his grace? And are you asking for his grace on a daily basis? Not to save you again and again. We know that if you confess, he has uh, saved you. But have you asked for grace and have you received grace? And are you grateful for that grace? Because if you have that grace, it will transform the way you live. And you see it in his request right after his speaking of grace in 133. He doesn't want to live the same. He doesn't want to live an inconsistent life. He doesn't want to live a life trapped in sin, ruled by anything but God. And so if we are those who love God's name, who have received his grace, we are also those then who walk in that grace, in a transformed life. You see that in verse 132 and 133. You see his desire as a man who loves God's name, is dependent on God's grace, is also dependent on God to keep him in that way. He wants to live for God. That's what a person who experiences God's grace does. Have you let that grace transform you? And not just one time when, when you were brought from death to life, not just one time when you were delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, not just that one time when you cried out to Jesus in your guilt and your filth and your shame, not just that one time has he transformed you, but is he transforming you on a daily basis? Are you asking him, would you pray this sort of prayer like in 133, God, you need to keep steady my feet. God, I need you to let no iniquity get dominion over me. It kind of echoes the Lord's prayer, doesn't it? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's that echo of the, the Christian is, I am stuck in my sinful ways and I need deliverance. And I need deliverance. And daily, I need deliverance. This is the cry of a Christian, the one who loves his name, the one who appeals to God's grace, and the one who lives a transformed life. The question is, are we loving that and are we living that? Are we transformed by his grace in such a way that it's noticeable, 
that we notice it, that we notice it and in a growing hatred for iniquity. And, and we notice when we're being ruled over, we notice when our steps are inconsistent and we cry out to God and beg him for mercy, not because we deserve it, but because we love his name and it gives great glory to him. I just want to pray for us that this would be the prayers of our heart, that we would be those who um, not presume on God's kindness, thinking we deserve it, that we would be those who are living this transformed life in the grace of God, asking God to make us delivered from a daily struggle with sin, that we would be consistent and not unsteady in our walk with him. Let me pray for this. Oh God, we do look to you and we ask that you would look upon us and shine your face upon us and show us grace, not because we are here thinking we deserve it, because of anything we do, not because we are lovely or we've cleaned ourselves up, but because we realize how dependent we are, that we need you and we need you only to save us. God, the only way to be delivered from our sin we know is through Christ. And so would you come? Would you come and encourage us by reminding us of your promises, reminding us that if we call upon your name and if we believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. We will be delivered from our sin and its effects for eternity. And so we thank you for that grace, the very thing we did not deserve, the love that you show us in your son. We thank you for it. And we pray that that would also transform our desires, would transform the way we pray, that we would pray in, in the same way that David did here in verse 133, that we would ask you, O oh God, even now in this moment, that you would keep steady our, our path, that you would keep steady our steps as we navigate this difficult world, as we struggle with sin and temptation every single day. God, provide for us. Keep steady our feet. We know that you give us solid ground to stand upon and you give us a rock to stand upon. And you give us a, a path and a way that is sure. So God, help us to trust it and believe it and walk in it. Help us to love your testimonies and your word so much that we believe you and we pant for your word because it will keep us on the way of truth. Help us, God, to be delivered from the domain of sin and delivered from its power. And we look to you for all of these things so that you might get the glory from our lives as you transform us day in and day out and as we depend on you and your grace. Thank you for your love and your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing uh, our final hymn, and then we will be uh, departing.